This is the Fireground Action Photography Podcast, Episode 12. Boston-based fire photographers Rick Knoll and Ted Pendergast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Fireground Action Photography, the podcast produced by and for photographers specializing in emergency services action photography. My name is Craig Derling, and I am your host. Today, we have several guests. Of course, I'm joined in base camp. I call it something different every week. We're in base camp this week by uh, legendary Southern California photographer Ross Benson. Welcome back, Ross. Good evening. Hi. How are you? What's up tonight, Craig? Not much, but what, this is what we have going on. We've got two very good old friends joining us from the East Coast. We've been hearing uh, people griping that we don't include anybody else in this show. So we've got uh, some, some guys from the East Coast, old friends of ours, Rick Knoll and Ted Pendergast. If anybody's uh, on the Internet or on any of the forums, you've probably heard these names. Rick and Ted, are you there? I am here, Craig and Ross. This is Rick. All right. That was Rick. I heard Ted in there. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Rick, let's start with you. We're, uh, uh, now, I should say that we went to college together way back when in Boston, and I really do blame or credit you two guys for getting, getting me into fire photography. Back then, I had been stringing for some local papers, uh, but when I met you guys in school, you guys were heavily into the fire photography and fire buffing. And uh, and that's when I got the bug and got addicted to it. So I thank you guys for that. Rick, do you apologize for that or take credit for that? Uh, I'll take a little credit for that. I remember uh, <clears throat> us doing lots of fire buffing up in the Lawrence area. Oh, the oh. summer of 92. Yes. I love that accent already. <laughs> I hold a picture from Lawrence, summer of 92 in my hand. But I did. I dug out. I was going through some old pictures today, and I dug out a picture you had given me way back when. It is in black and white. It's a picture of a Massachusetts state trooper holding a shotgun in his hand with some unlikely subjects against a wall. Oh, I remember the But photo. I should note, it's a copyright 1990, Rick Knoll, yeah, for don't... Charles Gate East. Yes, the old dormitory. <laughs> I'm surprised that hasn't burned down. No, it's... Did they tear it down, or is it still no, there? It's condos now. It... Oh, good God. Yes, they converted it to condos. They sold it My a long life. time ago. Yeah, All I remember right. that it, photo. I believe it was from Chelsea, Mass. It was some kind of uh, drug activity, I believe. Yeah, possibly. But my first and oldest souvenir from Rick the Knoll. <laughs> but uh, tell us a little about you. What are you up to these days? You've been shooting for how long now? Well, I have been shooting fire and rescue photography uh, on the East Coast and New Jersey and now Detroit for about 24 years going on now. And I am... Uh, a lieutenant on the fire department in Belmont, Mass., and I live in Reading, Massachusetts, about 30 minutes from Belmont, and I am still doing uh, fire photography as best as I can when I yeah. get a chance. Well, you're a little busier now. You have uh, you are with child now. Yes, so. I have a little youngster who has been to a couple of fires so far this year. So. Oh, really? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> they learn early, don't they? Yes, they learn early. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Now, how did you uh, end up getting started in the fire photography? Since we now know how I got started, how did you get started? Uh, I got started way back in high school. Uh, probably my sophomore year, um, I started, I got my first scanner, and uh, it was downhill ever since. Uh, 
So I got the first scanner, and I remember it was a, a four-channel crystal scanner. Oh, I, yeah. It had, uh, I think, Belmont Fire, Police, and Cambridge Fire. And then I started taking pictures, and you know, just haven't stopped yet. Uh, nope. Always learning and uh, always trying to get the, you know, make your pictures better along the way. And it's been a long, long process, but. Yeah. Um, well, I think we'll all agree we never stop learning, and as technology keeps uh, keeps surpassing us, it'll it'll never stop. It looks like no, and 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 I would like to thank you for the the podcast because I think listening to the podcast the last ten episodes has always uh, sort of reinvigorated myself into the the fire and rescue photography because it's it gets a little slow out here because we don't have that many fires anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. But, well, I, th- I thank you for saying that. It is uh, I do get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Hey, Ted, you back there somewhere? I am here. There you are. That's uh, this is Ted Pendergast. You might recognize the voice from a couple of episodes ago. Oh boy, I won't play it again. <laughs> thank but you. If you recall, the uh, Ted is a dispatcher in, in Belmont, Massachusetts, and helped via phone deliver uh, a baby. And we, I think, in episode nine, we we played that dispatch and uh, and gave you uh, gave you your props. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's uh, been going on as a result of that? Give us an update. Uh, thankfully, nothing. It's allowed. Uh, it's been allowed to die a nice, quiet death. So I'm very happy to say that uh, nothing is happening out of it. So it's a good thing. The baby's fine. The it's ba- the story that's I'm died sorry, a quiet yeah, death. That's true. Yeah, no, they, everybody's doing well, and it was a great opportunity to meet uh, to meet the family face to face, and and obviously to meet the baby. And yeah, I think, as I said to you off air, the 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 bonus was being able to hold the baby. Uh, that was that's just great. way cool. Good for you. Good for you. Now. I've known you almost as long as as uh, as I've known Rick. And have you been shooting as long as Rick, or longer? Or how did how did you get wrapped up in the fire photography? Uh, I think I've been shooting maybe a little bit longer. Um, I think a I, little I, bit. I yeah, a little bit. Uh, my first uh, my first fire that I can remember was uh, 1970, uh, which would make me f- four years old. Um, and, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't have a camera with me then, but I actually remember the fire, vaguely remember the fire, uh, and, and re- only recently saw some pictures from the same fire that, uh, that was my first, so that was kind of neat. Um, but, uh, didn't pick up a, a camera until 1980, um, and, uh, I still actually have those pictures. My first pictures were a brush fire. There you go. Something You're the West kidding. Coast guys know all about. What were you doing in California? <laughs> Couldn't have been farther away. It was on Cape Cod, and that was ah. my first brush fire. Um, so I've been shooting since then. That was with a an Instamatic camera that I grabbed out of my mother's beach bag and ran down to the fire with, um, and uh, been shooting since then. Excellent. Well, now we're on the topic. We were talking off air about our first cameras. Mine was my dad's Canon AE-1. And I went to Minolta briefly after that, and uh, have been Canon ever since. And and Ross, you started back- started with the Minolta uh, SRT one hundred and one. I'm really dating myself now. A fully manual camera. Then I went to an, I think an XG seven from Minolta, wore it out, and then I went to Nikon. Went all the way up their line to from FM and FEs to F three, and then uh, my eyes started giving out in my wrists from holding a heavy camera, and I went to Canon. Well, there you go, Rick. Uh, I originally started with a Kodak disc camera. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I loved those things. Yes. Little tiny negative. Then moved on to the Minolta. I used to run a couple of Minolta X700s shooting. uh, Yeah, that was my Minolta, the War Horse. Yes, the War Horse. You could could kill that thing. 
Uh, and then I moved on to uh, an Olympus, uh, and I don't remember the model number. Tedry had the same camera, so. That was uh, the 5050. That's C50. right, yes. The 5050, which was a good camera. Too much shutter lag for us, though. We couldn't, uh, for action photography, fire photography, it really was a great camera, great uh, color saturation, but it really wasn't very uh, conducive to fire ground photography. Yeah, I'm glad the manufacturers have uh, have kind of taken care of that problem because yeah. that was a killer for yeah. that was a killer for us. And now I'm shooting. Uh, I moved. Uh, I wanted something you know better. I actually bought a, a different Canon camera, and I think it was an was it an E5. I had that for a little while, and then I sold that and went to Canon. Uh, and I currently am shooting with a 20D, a 30D, and just recently bought the G9. Aha, uh-huh. so did I. It's the little point and shoot. Oh, yes, you influenced I, me in that. It was one of your more expensive podcast purchases. <laughs> yes. And Ted? Uh, yeah, is it, grab, you, know, you grabbed the Instamatic that day in 1980, yeah. um, but uh, soon found it had its limitations. I grabbed uh, or procured my father's Zeiss uh, camera, Zeiss 35-millimeter camera, which uh, was great. Um, but again, had its limitations. To, uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't allow a flash unit, uh, a strobe on it. So um, with more and more uh, night photography, I really needed the strobe. So mm-hmm. uh, invested in a uh, Minolta, I think an X370 first, and then a 700. So I ended up with two bodies eventually. Um, and then uh, I think Rick got the the 50/50 before I did. Really liked the pictures he was getting out of it, the digital. So decided to make the the jump to digital. That was 2003, yeah. and uh, love the camera. As Rick said, the color saturation was phenomenal, and I think it's still true of a lot of the Olympus um, cameras. They really seem to do a great job um, with color. Um, and then again, Rick uh, made a jump to Canon, and and I was just amazed at at his uh, images. So I decided to do the same thing. Got a 20D, and uh, only recently. Uh, was able to make a deal for a 5D uh, Mark One with the Mark uh-huh. II coming at figures, um, but uh, and and there's always something else coming. Exactly, and and you know, as you know, you can't you can't wait for the next thing. You just got to make that jump. So uh, I grabbed the deal when I could, and and uh, I'm just really just starting to use it on a regular basis and really uh, enjoying it. Now you now you ran into a problem with uh, an S S series lens that you had right that would not work on your on your five D and we had talked about this in another episode. These S series lenses for Canons were designed specifically for uh, the smaller censored SLRs and they won't even fit on a full frame camera like the five D right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and that yeah I just didn't do my research apparently and and sat here for the longest time looking at the the back of the lens and looking at the camera and then back at the lens again saying well why won't this fit on you know the camera and uh and was able to figure out that well the s series won't fit on the full frame camera so i stopped trying i stopped trying to force it i put the put put the hammer away nothing like a little duct tape won't fix exactly but no i can't imagine you're the only one and i think uh as a result of that conversation a lot of us learned that and and had no idea before, so I think you've saved a lot of people a whole lot of money and frustration with your experience there. Um, and Rick, you had talked about uh, some aftermarket stuff you're using. You're still using you're using a, a, a Vivitar uh, strobe. A lot of times at night, I I found um, I originally ha- I have a still use it a lot of times during the day for uh, fill flash and other purposes. But I I do have a Canon 550 EX. Um, 
that mm-hmm. I use. It, but then I was reading, I did some uh, research on Vivitar, and they used to be, we used to obviously use that as the workhorse of our Flash back in the Minolta days. Oh, yeah. 283 probably. Yeah, 283, 285. Yep. I still I have through, one of those. I, think. <laughs> I went through two or three of them, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they, you, they were great flash. Uh, so then I, I saw that Vivitar recently made a uh, 785. I think it's a HV flash, which is um, compatible with the low-voltage digital cameras. And the thing I like about it is that, <clears throat> if you remember back with the old Vivitars, they were really uh, – it was basically a manual type of flash where you could quickly change the output of the flash easily – um, you know, the one thing I found about the Canon, uh, 550 at night was to go through the menu. If you wanted to change the output of the flash real quick, as we know, fire ground action happens quickly. Um, mm-hmm. you might, mi- I was missing shots while I was trying to change the output of the flash and everything changes, you know, so quickly. Um, I found that the Vivitar was a lot easier for me to, um, use as a nighttime flash and an end the price of it is only about 89 dollars uh, wow that's <laughs> as opposed that's to the incredible. canon 550 which is you know the three four hundred dollar flash yeah um and so I'll sometimes look- getting the latest and greatest stuff doesn't always help you out when we're doing the kind of photography that we do yeah and that's true and most of my stuff now currently is uh, sh- at night is shot with that vivitar flash now do you find it keeps up with uh, your motor, your winder? Uh, that is the only drawback of the flash is that it has a low recycle time to it. So you may, uh, if you're doing rapid succession uh, uh, shooting, you it, it doesn't always keep up. So that is mm. one little downfall. Have you have you thought of uh, of incorporating like a battery pack, external battery pack, or anything into it, a belt pack to speed that up, or is that just too cumbersome for? Well, I used to shoot that shoot way. Fire. I used to shoot with I uh, used a, a Quantar battery pack, mm-hmm. um, and I still have that. And I actually, it's old. It's pretty old. But I did do a little testing with that, and it does seem to speed up the recycle time. So um, I may end up going that way. But for the ease of getting around the fire ground and have trying to carry less than more, uh, I've just been shooting with rechargeable batteries. Right. Right. Well, you, you, the need for speed at these things. Now, do you are you guys shooting with uh, with one camera body at fires, or are you using multiple multiple bodies? I shoot um, with two cameras. I shoot one one camera has my twenty four to seventy two point eight Canon L lens, and my mm-hmm. other camera has um, I run a one hundred to four hundred four point five to five six Canon L. Uh, Isn't that a great lens? Yes, I love that lens. lens. Heavy, but it's good. Yeah. Well, not as heavy as Ross's 35 to 350. <laughs> I think that's made of solid lead. Oh, that's a weight. <laughs> and, Ted, what are you, what are you, uh, what's your setup these days? Are you running one or two? Uh, I've been running one. Now that I have the 5D, um, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to run two or if I'm just going to select which camera I'm going to take when I bail out um, at a scene and, and run with it. I, I don't I don't like carrying a lot of stuff. Um I, I have camera straps on my cameras. I don't like to use them. They're kind of there. Uh, maybe it's just a safety thing. But I, really? the fla- I, my flash, to back up a little bit, um, I use a Sunpak 544, um, which is uh, one of the old grip-style flashes. It's the big potato masher 
there you go. a flash. And that not only for me works to, to hold the camera when I'm shooting it, but it's also how I carry the camera around. I pretty much don't use the strap. Um, so for me to have another camera body on me, and as you know, we've been talking about you're working at, a, at an incident scene, things are moving fast. Not only is the scene moving fast, but the photographer is moving fast. And right. it bugs me to have a camera on each shoulder that I've got to worry about, okay, is it slipping off my shoulder while I'm shooting this picture? And are the cameras going to be smashing together? And it's, it's, it's probably a learning curve, and I just need to get used to it. Um, it. It would make sense to shoot with two cameras with two different lenses on it, but it's not something I'm comfortable doing right now. I didn't even like doing it back when I had the the X700 and the X370, one loaded with Kodachrome and the other loaded with Tri-X. Um, okay. I just well, I think it, couldn't, get, I couldn't get coordinated and, with it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm curious, Ted. Now, with I have one of those strobes. Uh, in fact, the old 544, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put it on eBay, so I might talk you into a deal. You, I'll <laughs> guarantee that you can talk me into a deal because I actually uh, I just had one die on me um, and uh, decided to – I'm going to try and get it repaired. Uh, I'm not sure how much oh. luck I'm going to have with that. But, Might make uh, a great deal. <laughs> well, well, I went on eBay and uh, looked around for a replacement or a backup um, and found one, 60 bucks. Um, which, you That's know, a shipped. great thing now is, is we, you know, eat with eBay. We can get parts. We can get older, older uh, components and flashes and things like that that otherwise, how would we have – how would we be finding these things now? It's Thanks. funny. That strobe, I saw um, school photographers – Love to set them up because you can put them on a tripod and use them as a slave strobe or as a backup. So uh, now, do you disconnect it? I know that one has that bracket it's, where you can exactly. It's a real quick disconnect if you wanted to. I, I have done that before, um, but not not usually in a fire scene or an emergency scene. Um, I leave it on the on the flash on the mount, um, and I. It, the flat, I love the flash. It's just something you know. It, you get used to your to your equipment. Um, I can I, I use the flash in manual mode. Um, I don't use two, uh, TTL, and I'll throw that switch over, adjust my power, and I can do it real quick on the fly. So it's almost like a muscle memory thing. So I hate to give that up and try one of the newer flashes that that would probably be a lot more versatile for me. But I'm more comfortable using the the old. I went like to, we talk I, about a lot, being familiar with your equipment. Exactly. I went to that strobe originally because it's the most powerful. One of the it uh, puts out a bunch of light. It sure does. It sure does. Yeah. Well, per- personally, I usually run with two bodies, and I think that's kind of common out here. Not really sure why. If it's just a common, everybody sees everybody with two camera bodies. But personally, it's with the L series lenses with Canon, you end up with with a lot of gaps in focal lengths. So you tend to have to have multiple lenses to cover a lot of things, and that's one reason. Uh, but I hate, you know, I shoot a lot of wildfires, brush fires, and fewer and fewer structure fires these days. So the last thing I want to do on the fire ground out there in those conditions is try and change lenses on a camera body. Right. And two, it's just faster. You know, if we, you know, we're with a 16 to 35 or the 24 to 70 shooting on the ground personnel in front of you, and then you have, um, a helicopter coming in for a water drop, you don't, you know, you don't have time to switch lenses, so I just grab the other body and with a different lens and, and shoot that. But now, um, Craig and I, we both shoot cameras on our shoulders, and we don't carry bags. I've gotten away personally from carrying a bag from all these years. I shoot with a vest. Do you guys wear vests or carry a bag on you or what? Um, Again, I, we're back east out here. It's you know warmer and so right. forth. Right. I don't carry a camera bag. Um, I actually don't think I ever had. Well, I did. 
years and years ago, but I don't currently. Um, I try to travel pretty light. Um, I carry two cameras, uh, maybe two flashes, probably usually one flash and change it back and forth. And um, I carry a small, low pro uh, little bag that has all my extra cards and spare batteries, and that's pretty much all I carry. Yeah, the, the the summertime I will I will throw my camera bag over my shoulder. I have a very small camera bag. I haven't replaced it in 25 years, so uh, it's a nice small bag, and and it's enough to carry uh, you know a backup lens if I want to have that. Um, some some battery clusters for the flash, um, and and uh, memory cards. But in the winter time, I I most of the time I'm going to wear uh, a, a, an overcoat that has a some nice bellows pockets in it that I can throw the lens into and throw the battery clusters in other pockets. I love those, uh, those field coats that, that have, you know, seven or eight pockets on them that you can just start stuffing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, batteries and memory cards into. So I, I, I do prefer to have everything on me and not carry the bag whenever possible. Yeah. Yeah. And again, out here, brush jackets seem to be real popular among fire photographers. So those automatically have kind of pockets for your radios and, and scanners and lenses and, you know, big cargo pockets. So, that's usually what I run with. I don't uh, typically keep everything in a vest. Ross prefers prefers the vest. Of course, he's been wearing that vest for thirty five years now, right? Well, I've had to, I've gone through several of them. Uh, I find you wear pockets out when you're putting all that gear into them so yeah. much. And we're never we're pretty rough on our gear anyway, uh, typically. But um, moving on to a website. So this uh, last week's episode, we had Andrew Greenstein in and talked about websites, photo websites. What are you What are you uh, guys doing these days for a website? Uh, uh, Ted, how are you? How are you showing the world your your images? I I ran for for a long time. I had my own website um, that I that I built and have since then I really got burned out on it. I was tired of of sitting down and doing all the the HTML and and whatnot. Um, and it and it kind of took the joy out of it for me. Um, so I. It, ultimately, the server that that was hosting my site crashed. I lost everything. Um, and that was kind of it for me. I said, you know what, I'm going to take a break from the website for a while and, and let it go. Um, and then somebody brought uh, uh, SmugMug uh, to my attention um, that it was basically a very easy uh, template to set up and that you could customize it, although I, I haven't really customized it. And, and Rick can, can talk a lot more to that because he's done a lot more customization than I have. But um, you can customize it to whatever needs you want, but it also has a built-in marketplace. Um, mm-hmm. And I had I was not selling my photos before, and now I figure, well, it's there, it's on the website. If somebody sees something that that they like, that they want, terrific! It's built into to the Smug Mug site. They can go and and order the pictures, and it's pretty pretty much seamless. So uh, I've been very happy with them. I know there are a lot of other options out there, but Smug Mug has worked really well for me. Now it's nice to have a some place for somewhere to go. Now, do you have a lot of firefighters on the fireground asking you, "Hey, how can I get those pictures?" Or do you typically uh, uh, direct photo editors and 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 people outside of the industry? No, uh, it's it's. I mean, it's pretty much. It's really just a place for me to put my photos. Um, but yes, absolutely, people at 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 scenes, um, not just even the firefighters that are working the jobs, but but other people who. Uh, are working, you know, uh, or who know them, or family members have even come up to me and say, "Hey, that's my dad on the end of the stick," you know. And I'll, you know, I, I had made car- some cards made up that I can hand off to them and, and say, "Well, you know, by all means, have them check the site, send me an email, whatever, and I'll take care of them." Uh, 
But uh, and I'm sure we've all had that before where somebody will kind of grab you and say, hey, take a picture of me with my buddy standing next to the piece. And that's happened quite a few times. And that uh, I'm only happy to couldn't be happier to honor those requests. I mean, it's that's kind of why one of the big reasons why I'm there is to take pictures for them, you know. For their but historically, effect. those tend to be the last people that actually go and end up buying the pictures, I've, I've found. It's, it's hard to get people to, to, one, go from saying they'll buy a picture to actually going and buying a picture. As easy as technology has made it now with these online, uh, online sales galleries and all that. That's true. And, and, I mean, I have to say, too, uh, that for me, and it's just my own personal choice, I mean, I, I started bringing camera to fire scenes to document the, the fires that I was going to and, and found that it was not only documenting it for myself, but I'm documenting it for history. I mean, absolutely. There's so many, as you guys know, there's so many fire departments that, and you, I think you even talked about it in one of the first episodes that, that, uh, haven't done a lot to document the history of firefighting in their community. And now all of a sudden there's so many photographers out there with digital photography, there's a digital camera in everybody's pocket anyways. Um, it's nice to be able to contribute to that. And, uh, you know, my, my, I'm not in it for, for, I don't take these pictures so that I can sell them. I take the pictures for me. And Mm -hmm. if, if they find the pictures, they come to my site and they say, Hey, I want a copy of that. That's fine. That's, that's terrific. You know, I'm, I'm more than happy to accommodate them, but, um, the, the pictures are there for me. Right. We're going to take the pictures anyway. I think that's, you know, how we all got the start. And I think as far as sales went is one, we maybe, kept it as an option to maybe recoup a little of the money we spend doing what we do. But also, like you said, personnel do come to us and say, hey, can we get copies of those? And and now with these online galleries, it's a great way for us to provide them to members of the departments and, and people that uh, were at the scene and all that for their own history, their own family history. Exactly. Um, and Rick, you're using Smug Mug also, right? <clears throat> yep. I'm, uh, I was a little very similar to Ted in that I had my own website for a while, uh, was doing the old HTML thing. I actually was accepting uh, photographs from other photographers up in the East Coast area, um, trying to do, you know, bringing uh, other photographers onto the website, and it just got way too overwhelming for me. And the problem that I ran into was I was not able to update the site as enough as I wanted to so it really kind of sort of faltered and then I, f- I made the decision to say you know what I'm going to I'm going to just create a site that's just for my work only and mm-hmm. uh, that's when I found Smug Mug and I went to Smug Mug and that's what I'm currently using and I have done a little bit more of uh, some research on how to customize Smug Mug um, with each HTML and so also some CSS um, computer work so that's currently what I'm using and like Ted said it's sort of a, a two-pronged package one that it's a website that's easily easily updatable and also um, it does have the online store um, which is you know good for for sales you're finding you can update it enough or customize it enough to your liking where it's where it's your website or versus it looks like every other smug mug page well, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, obviously, I, if I had the time and I ha- was able to uh, do a, a, a full-fledged website, somewhat, something similar to what you have, um, you know, I would probably go back to that route. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. I just don't have the time to do that. So I'd rather have a, a website that I'm able to constantly update easier 
uh, than have a website that's going to sit there and not be updated. Yeah. It, it's funny you say that because I know Craig and I were out to lunch the other day, and he was saying that he's paying, putting a lot more time behind the computer than behind the camera. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he you. used to be out shooting all the time. Yeah. And besides doing the podcast stuff, and he's doing a lot of promotion for it, but his website, he puts a lot – his Craig's website – Fireground Action and CraigDurlingMedia.com. I tell you, they look fantastic. I wish I could keep up with what he has. Oh, but he, I, absolutely. He's coming home every day, and he says, I'm sitting behind the computer five hours a day. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> your website is awesome. Uh, and Thanks. I would love I did, to. I thought have I didn't a have a life like before, that. but now I have even <laughs> more, t- more computer time. But yeah, I've been trying a couple new things too, with, uh, and we've talked about it on the show is the Big, back, big Black Bag. Um, website that's designed for photo portfolios, and you can see that at uh, DerlingMedia.com. But that's kind know. of a all inclusive we website. About, I don't know if we talked about. We were going to talk about. I Big did uh, last week with Andrew. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, we we went over that. Um, but if you're looking for kind of quick and easy, they do the hosting. You just go to log on to your account on their website, create your whole website using their templates, upload all the media you want. Um, and there's an annual fee to it, but you can do the e-commerce, and, and, and it's all on their site. You don't have to find a separate host. You don't have to find separate servers mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's all there kind of in the cloud at Big Black Bag's uh, site. But if you go to derlingmedia.com, that's kind of an experimental site I have running right now. Uh, be interested to hear everybody's thoughts, including you, Rick, and Ted, if you happen to have a minute to go look at that. So you, um, are you thinking of switching over to that completely, or do you think you're running like dual websites? Right now, I have kind of the more artsy stuff on there. I have the yeah. wildlife, the nature, the kind of the sports, um, the, the the aviation stuff. Uh, I'm keeping Fireground Action separate because it's kind of a different feel, a different theme. And I had separated them a while back because I, it got kind of confusing going to firegroundaction.com and seeing a picture of a deer on the front. Right. Um, so I separated everything out. So I think I'll keep Fireground Action separate. I don't know if I'll make a big black bag account for that. I might keep that the way the way it is. Keep it simple. Keep it the way it's always been. Right. Um, but just trying kind of new things, and really impressed with the big black bag um, setup for that other stuff. It's a real clean uh, simplicity. Look. It's, it's yeah, exactly. It's flash based, but it's real quick. There isn't there aren't a lot of gizmos that are going to slow the process down. You know, one of the side benefits uh, while we're talking about websites too is is um, getting your stuff out there um, on display so that people can see it. And one of the biggest benefits of that is so that other photographers can see it, um, mm-hmm. and you can you you can share with other photographers what you're doing. They can see what you're doing, and you can see what they're doing and say, "Hey, that's I like the way that came out. How did you do that?" I mean, it spurs conversation. It 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 you know it it allows us to communicate a little bit more and say, "Okay, well." Gee, I want to get better at doing this particular thing that that I think you do a fabulous job at. How do I do that? And so I, I think agree. that's that's a huge benefit of of everybody having their websites and their pictures up on their websites like that. I agree. It inspires creativity. It gets you thinking about new stuff, and and, oh, and I think that's valuable. You know, a lot. Some people get into photography and enter a lot of contests to make it competitive. I don't. I've never uh, entered a contest to be competitive. Um, I don't look at photography. I like people looking at my pictures. That's why I love being a photographer for a daily newspaper. Every day somebody would open that paper and go, wow, how did you shoot that? I got an email. I sent three pictures to a local paper just the other day, and I got an email from an editor said, 
your three shots are great. Thank you. You know, and that's what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not the competitiveness. And that's why I love looking at other people's work to see, wow, how did they do that? Are they shooting with a tripod? Are they shooting available light? All those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a, any photographer, real photographer enjoys looking at pictures, whether they're yours or somebody else's. doesn't matter whose it is. You're going to enjoy good photography. Absolutely. Now, what did we talk? We talked. To, we wanted to cover um, notification because we've talk about it, talked about it in, in past episodes, um, how we communicate with each other on the West Coast here with radio systems, paging systems, and all that. Now, I come originally from the East Coast where we had – um, radio systems and paging systems and all that. How? What's the status of notification networks in the New England area right now, and, and where do you think it's going? Where do you? How do you think it's changed from 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, I would say that uh, right now out here on the East Coast in the Boston, Metro Boston area, there is probably a handful of radio systems um, that are left. Some are on the way out, um, like MRS, which you used to be a member of. Craig. Metro Radio System. Metro Radio. That was a, that was a huge group. That was a huge, huge group. There was probably over a hundred members. I used to be on the board of directors for the last five or six years, um, and some of the uh, key players for that on the board of directors sort of uh, got into some failing health, and there were some issues about being able to actually manage the radio system. So that's sort of gone by the wayside a little bit. Um, probably the biggest one that's left out here is uh, citywide radio system, um, which is really only fire-based. MRS, or Metro Radio System, used to be cover basically every kind of incident that was going on, whether it was a shooting, stabbing, uh, fires, car accidents. Uh, citywide fire is basically fires and hazmats. Uh, and then there's some local... Uh, sort of smaller groups. There's a Merrimack Valley um, radio system, which covers up in the Lawrence and the Merrimack Valley section of uh, Massachusetts. Uh, there is a system down in the South Shore. Um, what is it? Is it it's not TAC-9, Ted. It's... Uh, uh, MassNet. MassNet. Yeah, that, they keep changing their name every week. It's uh, <laughs> Just like do. we change our, the location we do the uh, podcast from. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and there are a few networks that are that are kind of uh, region-specific. Um, rather than covering a large part of the metro area, they cover just kind of a, a smaller portion. There's Middlesex Radio. uh covers Middlesex County, and there's some up on the North Shore, too. They're all... Um, they're all UHF systems. Um, all conventional? UHF conventional? Correct. Correct, yeah. Uh, you know, repeated, uh, you know, one good repeater up in a, in a good, in a, a nice high spot uh, citywide, I believe, is, you know, downtown Boston um, and then up to the North Shore, some of the other networks. So, but they're all, uh, yeah, they're all UHF conventional systems. Okay. Now, for anybody out there, are these invitation-only systems? Are there, you, you pay dues to to join them? Or, uh, they, yeah, you know, they, they're all they're all uh, membership-based systems, um, but most of them have reciprocal agreements with other networks um, outside of the area. Uh, citywide uh, Boston um, has uh, reciprocal agreements with networks in New York City. Um, I think down there may have there was one down in Virginia, uh, a network in Virginia that they had a. Uh, I think they had a reciprocal agreement with as well. But um, and there used to be one with uh, New Jersey, wasn't there or something with uh, with New Jersey? There's a yeah. There's a, there's a couple of networks um, in in Metro New York City, um, just over the over the line into New Jersey, across the the Hudson River into New Jersey. There's got to be four or five 
um, networks um, in the area, and they have a, a reciprocal agreement with at least one of them, if not two. Um, okay, I think area. I think most of these groups have uh, have websites that people can probably uh, search for on the internet and find a little more information about them. They do, they do. Um, uh, New Jersey Metro Fire Photographers um, is a is a. Uh, Photographers Association. Very, That's a very, very well-organized group, right? It is. Very organized, very active, um, large membership. They do a fantastic job. Um, Rick and I have been going down to the to the New York City and New Jersey area for, um, I don't know how long, uh, Rick, 20 years uh, maybe? Uh, it's about, yeah, 17 17, 17 years, years, I think it is. Okay, and and um, they they have just been fantastic. Um, they do uh, they do a, a photo night and heroism awards um, every spring uh, for the fire departments in the area. Uh, they bring apparatus in for an apparatus display. They have a a firematic uh, setup, flea market uh, type setup, and then they do uh, what's got to be a three or four hour long. Um, series of photo and video presentations along with uh, an award ceremony for firefighters and uh, that have performed heroically uh, over the previous year we could all only hope to be that organized yeah that's tough that's tough though to keep a group that organized and motivated though as as a as an association don't you think i mean that's to their credit it is, and and and, but I think it has a lot to do with the amount of fire activity they have in the area. They are, uh, mm-hmm. it's an area of the country that is very has, has consistently been very busy. Um, you have New York City, obviously, right across the river. You've got Newark. You've got uh, Patterson. Um, you know, there are numerous very very busy cities down there, um, and and I think that keeps the membership interested, and in and it keeps new people coming in, which is what is going to keep the the uh, organization operating perpetually. And I think, yeah. honestly, uh, in the, the Los Angeles area here may be one of the reasons for some lack of interest, lack, lack of energy in the associations is the lack of fires. There's nothing to do. So every, there's no reason for people, not as much reason for people to get together and see each other on a regular basis anymore. Yep. But, yeah, I think uh, you guys have recently found another city that has a few fires now and then, right? Um, yes, we have. And what city is that? Uh, that would be in Detroit, Michigan. And you're gonna, you guys. I hear you and Ted, or uh, Rick and Ted, are gonna start uh, a tour group that's gonna make regular uh, voyages and junkets to Detroit area to cover fires. Tell us, that, tell us about your I recent can trips see that there. Party bus now. Uh, I know some <laughs> some guys from Southern California have recently made trips out there, and it just came back with some one amazing images, but some frightfully scary stories. Yeah, uh, it, of some of the stuff they're seeing there. It is. Uh, we're headed down in November, uh, Ted and myself, and another uh, photographer up, up from up here, Damien Drella, uh, who's a soccer oh, yeah. firefighter. It's uh, a name from the past. Yeah. Uh, this will be uh, my fourth time down to Detroit in the last year, and the fire activity there is unprecedented. I have never in my 24 years of covering fires seen anything like it. Um, these firefighters down there are – I honestly – being a firefighter from the East Coast, I don't know how they do it. These guys are doing 16 to 20 good working building fires in a 24-hour shift. Jeez. Uh, and, and these wow. are multiple companies throughout the city that are, that are doing. Uh, how big of a city is is Detroit? You know, anyway, uh, know? How, what do you think, Ted? It's, mm, I couldn't even guess. I yeah, couldn't I even guess. It's pretty. It's, it's not it's huge. But it's, it's getting smaller by the week, I guess. <laughs> 
Well, as one battalion chief told us at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, they have 63,000 vacant buildings in the city, and they oh. make about 10 to 15 each day. That's what he told us. Wow. Um, wow. Um, yeah. So they, they've <laughs> had some real, real hard financial times. Obviously, the, you know, the um, major employment down there is the auto industry, which has mm-hmm. gone down the drain. Um, so a lot of people are out of work. There's not much uh, going for them in in Detroit, unfortunately. Uh, it's a very, very dangerous place to uh, be at and photograph in. Um, so that you have to be real careful uh, when you're down there, and you really kind of have to know what you're doing. And uh, we usually go either four or five guys, so uh, we're sort of traveling all together. We we operate a little differently down there when, as opposed to a fire up here in the Boston area, where you know you might go to the rear of the building by yourself to take pictures, or you know, sort of walk around the fire scene freely but in, when we're down in Detroit we really don't do that we usually pretty much try to stay together or within visual contact of each other uh, while covering the individual fires but now are you guys getting together with local photographers in Detroit have you have you met any down there are there any I'm sure there are some out there and there maybe are they listen to couple, this show but um, there's a there's one um, photographer who's been down there for a number number of years and uh, uh, Billy Bill Eisner. He's Bill I mean, Eisner. he's he's a legend when it comes to fire photography. Uh, Firehouse, yeah, many times. Absolutely, absolutely. He's he and he, we, it was great. Our our first fire down there, we we ran into him, and it was just uh, it was a treat to be able to meet somebody whose images you've seen for for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always good for anybody out there that's going to make a trip to you know a fire buffing trip is to have a point of contact where you're going to one not only get you around town but to you know, tell you where you should be, how you might want to act differently. Yeah, absolutely. In those neighborhoods. Now you say you guys uh, go together, but are any of you wearing vests, or do you have to, or you know, protective um, gear? I happen to wear a vest for myself. I bring my vest with me. Uh, and Ted I, just stands behind you. Yeah, and, yeah, pretty. Yes, exactly. That's correct. <laughs> the bullet fly. I'll take one for him. I suppose he's he's my Aww. he's my cover. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, we had just grab uh, the camera, save uh, the camera. Exactly. <laughs> we had a, a friend of ours, uh, Ed Burke, um, who uh, actually started Firepix. You've you've mentioned before Firepix dot net, um, and Ed had been down there a couple of times prior to our first trip down. In fact, we saw his images from from his few trips that he had made, and thought, boy, we really need to get out there and. And uh, so he was kind of our guide as far as where to go, what to look for, what you need to do. And, and uh, he kind of got us started down the right path as far as what we needed to do when we got there. Now, that's great. You guys are making still make these trips around. I mean, that you don't I don't think you see a lot of that in Southern California. We pretty much stay, seem to stay in Southern California. We had some guys that made a Detroit trip. Um, I'll frequently make a, some, a, a storm chasing trip. A few of us went to Texas a, a year or so ago to mm. do tornado chasing. And, and I know you, you at least, Rick, uh, you're looking to, to get into some of that. Yes, I would uh, love to do that. So let me know the next time you're going to go because I'll be there. I will. <laughs> meet, meet in the middle somewhere. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, with, with the economy the way it is, you know, a lot of people can't 
maybe afford to travel around so much, but it's great to hear that you, yeah. that you guys are still getting together and going to New York, going to New Jersey, going to Detroit. That, it, that's great. It is difficult. It's actually gotten a little bit more expensive uh, since our first trip. Actually, the, the airfare has uh, risen about uh, 100%. So, mm. um, <laughs> so it, it can be a little bit costly, but, I mean, it, it, unfortunately, if you want to see fires, that's at this point, that's where you need to be. Well, it sounds like it's definitely worth it. Yeah, you have to go to the fires sometime. They don't always happen uh, happen at home, so no. that, that's great. What were you going to say? You I gonna was say just going to say, if, if any of our listeners uh, that frequently listen and, and have heard Rick and Ted, if anybody's traveling back to the Boston area, you know, you, you're going to put their uh, web addresses up. They're going to have tell us where a good way to get a hold of them. Get a hold of these guys so you can travel. I guarantee uh, they'd be great hosts back there. Or like if they come out here, you guys are always welcome out here. You've come out here before. I look forward to seeing you again soon so we can at least have a good dinner down at the pantry or so forth. Yeah, I think we Chase got you fire. That just maybe that one fire when you were here last time. But That was a yes. good fire. I don't think you even got to check into your hotel room before we came and picked you up to go to it. <laughs> exactly. Was a good exactly. <laughs> I just landed, just landed and called them, and they were in the parking lot at the hotel. I said, hey, you want to go to a fire? Sure. So we swung by, picked them up, and went to a fire. It was through the roof on arrival, as I recall, so it yes. worked out well. We saw fire in the sky from the freeway. Exactly. Downtown L.A. It was commercial that building. was very good. Yeah. Well, geez, guys, you know, it's great to get, uh, get you to everybody to meet you, everybody, because we've talked about both of you. Um, on the show, so thanks for coming on. Um, we're definitely going to have one or both of you on many future shows. I hope uh, if you're if you're willing to do that. Absolutely, excellent. Now, we're on the West Coast, and right now it's around seven fifteen. And I know you guys are on the East Coast, and I don't know if both of you are in your pajamas, ready to hit the hay, because I think uh, you guys get up pretty early back there. I think so. They sleep in turnouts. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to talk about their turnout gear. That's a good one uh, for another, another show. show. Yep. Uh, no, always leave them wanting more. But uh, how you know? Speaking of websites and how to get in touch with you guys, how, Rick, how uh, how can people out there either uh, both uh, see your work and get in touch with you if they wanted to do that? My website is emergencyserviceimages.com, and my email address is uh, imageseditor at aol dot com. And I am on Twitter, uh, and I believe it's twitter.com slash Rick Knoll. N-O-H-L, right? It's N-O-H-L, yes. Okay. And Ted? Uh, my website is uh, firstdophotos.com, F-I-R-S-T, do, D-U-E, photos, with an S, dot com. And I am on Twitter, twitter.com slash photos. And I believe on the first page of my website, there's a, an email link for me. Excellent. All right. And Ross, you're next. <laughs> I'm at firepictures.com, and I'm, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm also firepictures. All right. And a selfless plug, I'll throw mine in there, firegroundaction.com, <laughs> and you can go to uh, I'm Craig Durling on Twitter. So twitter.com slash Craig Durling. Also, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, we are firephotos on Twitter. So twitter.com slash firephotos. You also have the forum up. uh, We have a forum now. I won't bother giving you the URL because (laughs) it goes on forever. But I'll tell you, if you go to firegroundaction.com, click on the podcast, um, there's a a link right there to the forum, and and you can also sign up there. It doesn't cost. No, it's it's free. free, And uh, it's a community. We're trying to develop community. In fact, I threw a couple of questions up there uh, last week or during the week. I'd love people to give me an answer if they could. You know, because the conversation doesn't stop after after the show. 
You know, you can go to the, go to the forum, talk about the things we talked about on the show. You can submit your own ideas. You can ask questions, and maybe somebody out there will come up with an answer for you. Rick, Ted, they're both on the forum. Ross is on the forum. I'm on the forum. So get on the forum and join in the conversation there, and we'll put the link to that in the uh, in the show notes so you don't have to worry about writing all this stuff down. Every link we've mentioned, all the uh, contact info, I'll go ahead and put in the show notes later. If you want to send an email to the show, it's podcast at firegroundaction.com. And again, on the Twitter, it's firephotos. The website, as always, is firegroundaction.com. Well, Rick and Ted, thanks again for being here. That's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Be safe out on those fire lines, and we will see you next time on the Fireground Action Photography Podcast. <laughs>